0: Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Rock,
1: and I'm Brendan Collins, and welcome back, every ball star, one and all, to the Balls Over the Top podcast. We are back.
0: Yep, I my ordeal battling the cartel, my kidnapping was finally resolved.
1: It was. It was resolved. It was resolved peacefully. Uh, I danced to Cesar, Ramon Estavez, Gustavanes, Estane, El Macho battled him in a dance battle. It went on for forty-five minutes. And uh, I pulled out the funky chicken at the end, and he just he wept. It yeah, was I, so beautiful.
0: I've never seen anybody do an interpretive dance to every chapter of Trapped in the Closet by R. Kelly before. It was it was groundbreaking.
1: It was exhausting. I lost six pounds just during that segment of time. It was uh, it was incredible. It was very powerful and emotional. And uh, Michael's back. We got him back from the cartel.
0: Exactly. And so happy to be back here. And we have tons. I mean, tons of news to talk about, and we're going to switch things up a little bit this week. a matter of fact, we think it's going to be a permanent change here. We've been hearing from a lot of people, you love our soccer talk, but there are a lot of people maybe not into soccer, so we're going to split it up. We're going to just do full-on, nothing but soccer once a week, and then we'll have, you know, a second episode where we can break down the North American sports, we'll include the MLS in that, soccer, football, baseball, you know, you know it. Yeah. But... We're gonna focus on football.
1: yeah and this is such a globalist podcast that we, we we have to split it up you know from our uh, from our foreign and domestic markets.
0: So without further ado, we know we got a ton of news to get to. We got a lot of storylines that have happened in the last few weeks but it's been all pretty much overshadowed by a, a mega story so we're gonna jump into things right now. we're gonna fill you in and we got a really great show for you tonight. We're gonna to start as we tend to. With Premier League soccer, soccer in England, and as you know, I I don't hide this at all. My opinion, the best soccer in the world, barring maybe the Champions League, comes out of the Premier League, and they have not disappointed. We've seen a little bit of change in the top four for the first time in many weeks. My team, my boys in blue, Chelsea, Thomas Tuchel has them playing out of their minds. One loss in 19 matches in charge. And they've been able to surge up the table and capture fourth place, knocking West Ham down to fifth. Still not going to be enough, though, to catch the leaders at the top of the table. With only a half a dozen matches remaining, Manchester City's title is looking more and more inevitable by the match. Their magic number is now four wins, assuming United also stays perfect during that time. And it's a big achievement for Pep.
1: Yeah, I mean, the ball guy has had this Man City side absolutely at the top. He's had the cash influx to do so. Uh, It's made it pretty easy when he's been able to buy all the players he wants, and he hasn't really made a ton of misses on the players that he's brought in so far. A lot of them have done at least fairly well. You know, Ruben Diaz this year has been absolutely instrumental in then,
0: Arguably the greatest signing of that window in the Premier League. You know, Chelsea made a huge splash, dropping a quarter billion pounds on players all up and down the pitch, and they've gotten some results, maybe a little bit of disappointment, out of the two big German acquisitions in Havertz and Timo Werner. Despite Werner being involved in pretty much... Almost every goal that Chelsea scores, he still hasn't been able to find that scoring form that Chelsea thought they were getting when they pulled the trigger on him from Leipzig. But I got to say, one of my favorite transfer that window, and you know I'm biased here, was the one that cost us no, no money too, and that was the Tiago Silva move from PSG. He has just been an absolute rock in the back, really thriving in that three-center-back defense. and setting the tone to allow players like Kurt Zuma, Andreas Christensen, Anton Rudiger to elevate their game and start to look like top-tier center backs, which they really just hadn't been
1: under Lampard and even before. No, and it also gives your outside backs a lot of flexibility with now Rhys James has the ability to get forward, and it's brought... Uh, Marcus Alonso, who was, you know, was revitalized
0: gone. his career. Exactly. Yeah. He had one foot out the door, was being linked with a move to the Serie A, a move back to Spain. And yet now he's worked his way into the team sheet more often than not, oftentimes ahead of even big money transfers, Ben Chilwell. So, very happy as a Chelsea fan with Tuchel, how he's turned this team around. And kind of came to a pinnacle this past weekend when they pulled off a massive, massive 1-0 upset over Manchester City in the FA Cup semi-final, booking themselves a place in the final, giving them a real shot at a trophy this year, which is huge. I think when Frank Lampard got sacked, if you had said Chelsea would be in competition for one or more trophies by the end of this year, you would have thought I was crazy. And yet here they are getting ready to play in the final. And Really, it was significant significant because it ended Manchester City's bid at sweeping the trophies. Uh, They were considered heavy favorites for the Champions League, obviously looking like a shoe-in for the Domestic League. And I think people thought they were going to run away with the FA Cup and the League Cup as well. So, big moment for there, big shot at those chances, and a really big match. Yes. On the other side of it too we see another top four side. Leicester City was able to beat Southampton and so that's going to be a really interesting FA Cup final. The third and fourth place teams in the city or not in the city in the league facing off against each other
1: for another piece of hardware. Exactly.
0: But they're not the only teams in the league in the prem worth focusing on. Arsenal and Tottenham have continued their lackluster performance is really since the turn of the calendar year. I mean, keeping in mind that just a few months ago, the Spurs were in first place as we entered Boxing Day. And now, they're without a
1: manager. Yeah, they, they've sacked Jose Mourinho a week before another cup final. Yeah, the special one. Sacked, really just
0: has not found his bearings the last few seasons, and he gets sacked less than a week before the League Cup final against Manchester City. It's shocking to me, while I think we both were in agreement that Mourinho's time was starting to run thin at the club.
1: his tenure was ending.
0: A little bit surprising to see them give him the hook right before really what would end up being the only salvaging grace of this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's their last chance at hardware on the year. So I think the signal is really just being sent that this wasn't good enough. This can't be tolerated. And uh, let's see what the Spurs can do with their interim manager, Ryan Mason. He's a fairly familiar name because he was playing in the Prem just a couple seasons ago.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. The twenty nine year old takes over at the club. It's gotta be an interesting dynamic there. A handful of their top tier players are right around that age. I mean, Hugo Yuri's older, Gareth Bale's older. Suzuko's older. S- yeah, Suzuko's older. I mean, and then even look at Huengman's Sun's turn in twenty nine this year. Harry Kane's about to be twenty eight. It's pretty crazy to now be taking orders from a guy that just a few years ago was your contemporary on the pitch, I and mean, yeah. you gotta wonder Is a guy like Gareth Bale really going to think that Ryan Mason knows more and is a better tactician of the game than he is? I I think that can create some question marks when you're playing at this highest level. Not that you can really call what the Spurs have been doing recently the highest level of anything.
1: Well, some teams are reaching the highest level, and that's Norwich.
0: Yeah, after one season down in the championship, they find themselves crashing right back through the gate, getting back into the Premier League, led by the man, Timu Puki, stayed with the side through relegation and willed them back up, leading the team in goals. I mean, he's just been an absolute machine this year. There's a couple other players, though, of note, a couple of other Premier League mainstays that... We've seen absent these last several weeks.
1: Yeah, uh one really big one is a captain of that gunner side. And that's a Bumiang. Yeah, he... Pierre
0: Bumiang fell ill following his international break. Turns out while playing with that his Gambian side, he contracted malaria, touching into a little bit of that Didier Drogba status there, which obviously you never like to see these Top-tier players, especially go play in Africa, exposing themselves to third-world conditions. And unfortunately, it comes to bite him hard. He ends up being hospitalized, dealing with muscle loss there, nutrition loss. I mean, malaria is an ugly disease, and it's a shame. So we, we wish him the best. He's been having an off year, and rumors swirling around that he might be on his way out of that arsenal side. But never the way you like to see a guy go down. A guy who looks like he's going to be ending it, though, the right way is Manchester City skipper and perennial just name at the top of the team sheet for what seems like the last decade. Sergio Aguero, after an incredible run where he's virtually won everything there is to win with Manchester City other than the Champions League.
1: And a balloon d'Or. door.
0: Aguero will be leaving the Etihad. Yet, it seems to be on good terms, and Pep, being the class act that he is, gave Aguero his blessing, saying, go anywhere you want, especially if you want to stay in England, he'd welcome it, which could be really interesting. I can imagine teams like Chelsea, United, Liverpool, I mean, pretty much I can imagine 19 other sides in the yeah. Premier League yeah. wanting to take a flyer and, and see if Aguero will come there. So,
1: Let um, alone the rest of Europe.
0: Obviously, the end of an incredible era for him, one of the greatest scorers of all of Premier League history. I mean, finds himself, I believe he's in the top three all-time scorers in Prem history. Just unbelievable the picture of consistency and quality on the pitch, and I'm looking forward to see where his next chapter
1: brings him. It will be quite interesting to see, but we can take it out of jolly old England there, we can move to the Bundesliga because it's getting a little bit interesting as this title race rounds its final corner.
0: Yeah, the Bundesliga, which, you know, I like to kind of poo-poo sometimes for being an uncompetitive league, really. Feeder league. It really uh, showed me this year. Uh, It's been exciting. Unfortunately, these last couple of weeks, we have seen Bayern Munich's lead grow at the top of the table and it is looking like yet again they're going to be hosting the hoisting the trophy but it was definitely an exciting year Red Bull Leipzig coming through major major kudos to them this season yeah they dealt with
1: a lot and they dealt with a lot of turnover from this past year so it's been impressive for them to have that performance as well as Eintracht Frankfurt's had a hell of a season uh, at Wolfsburg too. Right now, Bayern's at the top with a 10-point lead and six matches remaining. Their magic number to win this title this year is three victories, but they're going to be doing it without their perennial skipper and, uh, I mean...
0: I mean, their leading scorer, the guy who just scores at will, Robert Lewandowski, the golden boot leader in the Bundesliga and really just the man as Thomas Mueller likes to say with a grin, Robert Lewandowski, Le- Lewandowski. Yeah, that is Robert Mueller. Suffers a training injury, ends up missing competitions both in the Bundesliga and out, and honestly pretty surprised by uh, Chupo Moting stepping up and filling those shoes. I, I journeyman player who I thought it was even hilarious when he signed to Bayern and was cracking jokes about it, now finding his name not only on the starting 11, but also on the score sheet more often than not. So props to him. Rounding out the top four, Leipzig sitting at 61 points. And then a shocking, at least shocking to me, third and fourth place teams. Eintracht Frankfurt, since the January transfer window, has been playing like a totally different side. They shot their way up the table and now are sitting fairly comfortably in a Champions League spot. And then Wolfsburg, another team that just really, with great defense, John Brooks, Mbabu, leading that back line and and creating just a wall back there. I mean, they're one of the hardest teams to score on in the league, and they've turned that into some really solid results. Mm -hmm. It actually has, unfortunately, I know I don't want to
1: make you feel too bummed, but...
0: Right now, your boys in Dortmund are on the outside looking in.
1: Yeah, right now, they're in 49th uh, They're in 5th place. place. Yeah, 49th place. It feels like it sometimes. They're in 5th place right now with 49 points or 6 points behind. It'll be quite tough to climb up into this competition, although they do play Wolfsburg in these last couple games, meaning there could be a big point swing in Dortmund's favor. But, yeah, they've... They've lost a little bit of their luster. Uh, Erling Hollins picked up a couple of knocks along the second half of the season that has definitely hampered his production and play time. They haven't seemed to find the right combination of attacking force. It's been, I think, a little bit of a, uh, you know, it's been a struggle of different luxury players not playing as well as probably anticipated.
0: And, you know, they're a team that I think sometimes can actually do too much. You know, they have so much talent. They have so much flair. They end up having so much possession of the ball. And yet it seems like they almost overlook a lot of the fundamentals at times and try and be try and do too much with it instead of maybe good, directly attacking goal. Yeah. And so, but the benefit that they have there is it's a young team. There's so much young talent there that has the opportunity to grow. And even though we will see certain players get picked picked and plucked into the rest of Europe. You know, Jadon Sancho's always linked to transfers. Erling Haaland now always linked to transfers. You still have the foundation in place to really thrive. Elsewhere in Germany, we saw the DFB Pokal starting to round its way out and we are now into the final four. We're going to see Werder Bremen playing against Red Bull Leipzig as well as Holstein Kiel versus Dortmund which is pretty impressive. The Bundesliga 2 side yes has already been a Cinderella story getting this far and
1: i mean they knocked out Bayern Munich uh, on penalties
0: exactly so you can't overlook them they they obviously have a system that's working for them and they'll look to continue that Cinderella run before they turn back into a pumpkin so we'll definitely want to keep an eye on those Another piece of German soccer news, though, that was really big is the fact that staple of their international team, Joachim Lowe, announced that he will be resigning as the coach of the German national team, and this is leading to a lot of coaching drama. We noticed Hansi Flick, Bayern manager, then told his players before mentioning it to the Bayern board in any capacity, he was planning on stepping down at the end of the season to probably fill those shoes for the national team role. And as a result then, there are rumors that Leipzig's manager is going to be stepping down and taking that Bayern role. Julian Nagelsmann looks like he would be the leading candidate to take over at Bayern Munich in that case. So we could see a giant carousel taking place here in the Bundesliga on the coaching level. and It'll be like a manager key party. Exactly. Pretty crazy. Everybody just throw your name in a hat and we're going to just pick them out and that's your new team. Yeah. So definitely something to keep an eye on. I mean, Hansi Flick, we said it before, but has won everything there is to win with Bayern Munich. And I imagine he wants to take on this new challenge. But And Nagelsmann, that could be really significant because Leipzig, more so than the other teams in Germany, seem like they have been a system side. It seems like no matter who you were plugging into that lineup, they were able to get results. And you wonder if that goes out the door with Nagelsmann.
1: It will be quite interesting to see. It is also coming at a time where German football has lost a little bit of its luster compared to other European counterparts. I mean, you're seeing... Uh, like a very large upswell in talent in, you know, in France. Spain has young players that are exciting. Portugal has young players that are exciting. The Spire, uh, the German side, so a lot of the old guard is leaving, and the, we don't know if there's solidified, you know, people to take over those roles that are opening up.
0: Yeah, and even some of the players like Werner, like Havertz, who were looking like the heir apparents to that German side, took a big step back this year in their domestic campaigns. So definitely going to be something to keep an eye on moving forward. And as more things become official, because everything is still speculative now, we'll obviously be coming at you with confirmed news. But we're going to take a stroll on out of Germany and pop on over to the Serie A, where the Serie A is starting to round its way into form. And for the first time in a decade it's looking almost
1: inevitable that we're going to have a new champion. Yeah, bienvenidos to the new possible champs. Inter Milan is leading that petition right now, and they've got a magic number set.
0: Yes, they only need five victories to secure their title. They have a nine-point lead over second-place AC Milan. And again, that's assuming that the sides below them all went out. Obviously, them getting a a good result and increasing their lead would shrivel that magic number down even further. But right now, the way Antonio Conte has had his boys playing, the way that Hakimi, Romelu Lukaku, even suddenly Christian Eriksen are now producing makes it look damn near impossible that any of the other sides are going to, catch up to this Inter Milan side and it has been well deserved. As you know, they're my favorite team in Italy. and I love Antonio Conte and what he was able to accomplish at Chelsea. I'm a big fan of a lot of their old guard. I mean, that's a team, we talk about teams with young talent. This is a team with old talent. You've got Alexis Sanchez. You've got Arturo Vidal, Christian Eriksen, Lukaku. I mean, guys who have been around. Handanovic, who's just part of the, yeah, as part of the foundation. Now at that point, are. ER, I mean, up and down the pitch, there is veteran leadership and consistent play, and very excited for them and well deserved. An incredible campaign. Obviously, we can't crown them till it's over, but really an impressive run by Antonio Conte. It
1: yeah, and I mean it's been. Pretty impressive all-around. I mean, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but Milan sitting in second with 66. Atalanta sitting in uh, third right now with 64. Juve sitting in that fourth-place spot with 62.
0: Uh, All the way down there in fourth, 62 points, and that's got to be a major disappointment. I mean, keeping in mind, this team brought in Cristiano Ronaldo to win the Champions League and continue their dominance in the Serie A. While they're eliminated from the Champions League, and they're not; they're at risk of falling out of the top four. I mean, right now Napoli and Lazio are both two points and four points away, respectively. And Lazio, sitting four points back, has a game in hand, so they're able to make that victory up. They could find themselves just a point behind Juventus when even on games played,
1: and so yeah. And right now, in form, four of those sides they haven't lost in in their past six with. Napoli, Lazio, Atalanta, and Milan haven't lost in their
0: past six. Exactly. Who's the one that's not like the other? Juventus. Yeah, And so it's definitely a red flag. I mean, I'm shocked that they're not in full-on panic mode. Ronaldo's been injured, not even getting a chance to play, and even the matches I've been watching some of their games, like Alvaro Morado couldn't buy a goal the other day. He had a multitude of opportunities and yet the team could not convert. And so it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on as that season rounds out. Mm -hmm. We have a full slate of action tomorrow. All of those teams will be playing tomorrow, so we could easily have a shift in that top four by the end of the week.
1: Yes, and unbeaten was the word I was looking for. Unbeaten.
0: (laughs) Well, we're going to make our way over to Spain, where... As expected, as you you could have asked us before the season even kicked off, it's a three-horse race. What? Atletico Madrid has managed to barely hang on to their lead at the top of the table. Where Earlier halfway through the season, we were talking about they were going to run away with it. Well, <laughs> they've been stumbling, and the other two teams have rounded into form. Atletico is sitting right now at 70 points, followed by Real Madrid at 67, and Barcelona is sitting in third at 65. However, they do have that ever-crucial-at-this-point extra game in hand, so they could find themselves less than a game back when all things are said and done. Rounding out the top four, and really not far behind, is Sevilla, one point behind Barcelona at 64 points again though don't have that game in hand so it's closer to four points behind than it is one and really though as is often my problem with Spanish football one problem that's pretty much the whole competition I mean this top four is virtually set in stone Sevilla has a magic number of one to guarantee that they stay in the top four so There is a 15-point gap between 4th place Sevilla and 5th place Villarreal. So, it's essentially pointless at this point. Uh, Yes, there could be some shuffling. And obviously, we're going to pay attention to what happens with Atletico. I mean, the trophy is still up for grabs. But for all intents and purposes, we know the four teams that will be invited to the Champions League next season.
1: No one's going to storm up and surprise us. Elsewhere,
0: we did see some domestic cup action in Spain with the Copa del Rey final being played not once, but twice in the last two weeks. We had the peculiar event, once-in-a-lifetime event, of they postponed the final last year in 2020, obviously the COVID pandemic, all of the issues going on there. They decided that they were going to play the final at a later date. Well, that later date fell a mere 10 days or so before the 2021 final. And boy, it must have been tough to have been an athletic Bilbao fan this week because they lost not one, but two chances at hardware in the same competition.
1: In Yeah, in. Back-to-back, back-to-back weeks. Yeah, they were shut
0: out in back-to-back cup finals, losing just two weeks ago, 1-0 to Real Sociedad to finalize and put a nice bow around that weird 2020 football season. And they picked themselves up, they dusted themselves out, and they said, hey, we're going to go for it again. We got another shot. We're going to take on Barcelona. They've been struggling this year, right? (laughs) Leo Messi had other plans. Yeah,
1: Messi doesn't really struggle.
0: He netted himself a brace in the 4-0 thumping of Bilbao. They are able to raise a trophy. Obviously, big news for them, feeling good about that. And Bilbao,
1: shame, shame. <laughs> Let's see how you do in, you're in the Champions League before you start pointing too many shame fingers out. Let's just temper expectations. Well,
0: that's a good segue cuz we also had Champions League action these past couple of weeks and I'm a happy camper. Yeah. Yes I am as yeah. Chelsea managed to close out their second leg against Porto moving through 2 to 1 on aggregate. Thomas Tuchel against the odds has his men playing in a Champions League semi-final elsewhere we saw real madrid knock off english giants liverpool jurgen klopp's boys did not have the ammunition to get it done against the catalonian side it's not catalonian side it's barcelona
1: yeah some spanish yeah. I don't know, who cares but uh, that was an interesting one man it looked like no one on liverpool had ever put a ball in a net before and they just continued to struggle trying to do so.
0: Yeah, there were countless chances for Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, the whole side, and yet they just could not convert, and they found themselves going home. We did see also a battle of the titans as PSG and Bayern clashed, and it was a doozy. Really exciting stuff. PSG ends up holding on on aggregate, on away goals. Really exciting. And really, you got to feel for Bayern Munich because they were, as we mentioned before, without their go-to guy. Robert Lewandowski ends up missing the second leg due to that injury he picked up in training. and And his absence was felt in that second leg match. There's no doubt about
1: it. Yeah, Leon Golretzka doesn't quite do it for him. No, no. And, and Thomas Mueller,
0: the ageless Thomas Mueller, will look like his age finally caught up with him. So, bummer for Bayern, but exciting for PSG, Neymar, that whole side. They look to have a really exciting semifinal matchup as they will be facing Pep Guardiola and the inevitable English champions, Manchester City. Yeah. Who. Uh, we could we could spend a whole podcast getting into the outrageousness that was the officiating in the second leg of the Dortmund-City game. Outrageous calls. I say, and I'll come out and say it, stole that game from Dortmund, where Dortmund looked like they were ready to pull off the upset and find themselves on the way through to the semifinals. While obviously Man City is a elite team of Europe, it was disappointing to see the officials' fingerprints all over this one.
1: Yeah, man, it hurt. Uh, it seems like, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know, man. Was, sometimes if you kick a player in the bottom of the foot, it's a foul against one player. Sometimes it's a foul against the other. You never really know. Sometimes it's the kicker. Sometimes it's the kicker. Uh, it was a sloppy game. It felt poorly officiated. Uh, I. I didn't enjoy the second half. The first half was great, especially that second leg. But it'll it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully the Dortmund side can really pull themselves together, especially in their league, and get back into Champions League contention where they really feel the most at home. Yeah, so...
0: And I think it's a huge learning experience for those young players. Erling Holland having Champions League experience... Obviously,
1: NAF getting experience after being just in the reserve side. Yeah,
0: Jude Bellingham scored a a gorgeous goal to to get them on the board in the first half there. So, definitely a learning experience, but still a tough one to swallow nonetheless. There'll be more to come from the Stormont side for sure. So, we do look forward to that. We're going to have Chelsea versus Real Madrid and PSG versus Man City. And those matches kick off a week from today. Exciting stuff. Cannot wait. We also had some Europa League action.
1: Yeah, and this is always fun, talking about the secondary competition. Yeah, the the little brother,
0: as I like to call it.
1: Well, Arsenal gets the better of Slava Prague.
0: Yep, as well as we saw Villarreal best Dynamo Zagreb, the Croatian side. We're going to see those two face off against each other in a always intense middle of the pack of England versus middle of the pack of Spain. Can't beat it. I expect Arsenal to disappoint as they've done for the last decade. But yeah, that this... has
1: one nil written all over it. Elsewhere,
0: we saw Manchester United beat Spanish side Granada. Highlight of that one was the streaker who camped out in the uh, equipment for 17 hours so he would have his time to shine. And we also saw the Italian side Roma get the best of Dutch Giants Ajax, which both of those were actually really solid Europa League quarterfinal matchups. And I tell you, it's going to lead to a super exciting semifinal there as well. United, Roma, two teams that expect to be playing this time of year expect to be featured in European competition
1: and And can score goals in bunches
0: exactly so we'll be looking forward to that Arsenal Villarreal Man U Roma as the Europa League semis but we want to take a second now to move on to really what is the most important topic of the show and became the most important topic in sports over the last week. I mean, created the giant dark cloud. And that is the fact that there was a super league proposal with 12 of Europe's biggest clubs signing on to join a breakaway league of elite football competition, which on the surface maybe sounds good, but boy, it was a, disaster and to join us with this we're actually going to be bringing in a friend of the show a resident football fan united fan and close friend of ours tom leahy is going to be joining us momentarily to give his thoughts and join us in some discussion because there is a ton to break down here and the implications are very wide-ranging
1: a call from thomas leahy
0: Hey, Tom. You there with us? Hey, Bernie. Hey, Mike. Hey, Tom. Welcome to the show, my man.
1: Yeah, welcome on. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me, boys.
0: So, uh, we just started leading in with the concept of the European Super League that was proposed this past week, and boy, was it a doozy. Yeah. You know,
2: um, it's it's not like this idea hadn't been batted around before. And uh, actually, interestingly, I I was reading today a couple of quotes from, from Arsene Wenger over the last few years where he kind of predicted this, but, but look, you know, I mean, this is an idea born almost uh, exclusively out of the greed of the owners. Um, There's no practical purpose for the league, and I'm I'm glad it's it's uh, evaporated after not even 48 hours since we first learned of it.
0: Yeah, well, we hadn't even gotten to that point yet, but we—that's a perfect point to bring up. I mean, the opposition to this was tangible. I yeah. mean, almost immediately, yeah. uh, you know, we we had just. Laid out how conceptually, you know, 12 of the biggest teams, and we we can list them now. I mean, in England, Man City, Man U, Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, and Liverpool. And then elsewhere, you know, in Italy, Juve and both Milan sides. And then in Spain, obviously, the two Madrid Giants and Barcelona really just made, just decided to go for the ultimate money grab. Yeah. Uh, They decided to throw conventional wisdom out the window, throw fair competition and really earning your keep out the window, and thought that they should just be able to ride their reputations and their bottom lines to be able to bully and and push their way toward whatever they wanted. Yeah, well,
2: I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there, Mike. I mean, let's not forget, too, I mean, you mentioned Real Madrid and Barcelona. These are two clubs, massive clubs with a lot of history, but they're nearly a billion euros in debt. Uh, And obviously, you know, we can't forget that the coronavirus pandemic has had a huge impact on on club's finances, but every club. I mean, we're talking about National League, you know, in England, National League, League 2, League 1 clubs, on the brink of bankruptcy, having to furlough players, the football pyramid drying up because of the losses that some of the clubs that have been subsidizing, the rest of English football, losing millions, hundreds of millions of pounds, and then to decide, you know what, uh, we're going to cut and run. And, and you know, the the president of, of Real Madrid, Fiorentino Perez, tried to justify it and saying, well, the money that we would receive from the European Super League, that that would go back into the pyramid. I, I don't think anybody believed him when he said that. Just like nobody believed him when he said that 16 to 24 year olds had lost interest in the game. But yeah, I mean, this is this is this is purely. It was purely um, a moneymaker. And and you know, you mentioned the opposition. The opposition came from what the sport is all about, and that's the grassroots and the fans. Yeah, the players spoke out today and yesterday the managers, Pep Guardiola had a had a go at, at his own club and at a bunch of the other owners. But it, it was the fans. And you know what? You know, Mike, I know you're a Chelsea fan. For those listening, I'm a Manchester United fan. Um you know, the Chelsea fans were, were staggering today in their in their opposition. And and I I think we're really the catalyst behind Chelsea pulling out. I mean being the first ones to to withdraw from, from the English side. Massive respect to the Chelsea fans, and and really all fans. I mean, it, this was a united effort to confront what has become, and honestly what has been for a long time, a problem in the sport, and that is that this has become a business. It has become a business. Every club is guilty of this. And, and you know, we should not forget that uh, that this is not... The first time that this has happened, then we shouldn't let UEFA and FIFA off the hook either, because before this, they were the guilty parties in in uh, funneling money more towards the big clubs and and um, well, and pro- tightening solidarity payments away and towards clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona and Manchester City.
0: Yeah, and siphoning that money toward private interests, too. I mean, not not yeah. the interests of the many, but the interests of the few.
1: Yeah, and I mean... Absolutely. Really, I mean, the, the whole thing behind this, too, was it sounded awesome initially. Like, it sounded really cool. The idea of having a 12-team expanded up, possibly higher, having divisions, having playoffs, and replicating the American model for sports, it sounded interesting to change up the pace of top-level champions competition.
0: Yeah, and, and I don't right. think anybody's opposed to the concept of saying, yeah, we want to see more matchups between these top teams. I mean, nobody's going to argue with, like, getting more Messi versus Ronaldo or getting more, you know, Chelsea versus top Italian clubs. But, hello, that's why we have the Champions League. It already exists. And, yeah, and, and you
2: know, what I found most ironic and and quite frankly appalling about the timing of the announcement, was that it came on the heels of UEFA and its federations, member federations and and FAs and and clubs agreeing to a revamped Champions League from the 2024-25 season, which expands the number of teams in the Champions League from 32 to 36 Creates a system where, instead of the group stage as we know it now, where there are four teams in a group, they all play each other twice, to have almost a mini-league where there are ten teams, ten different opponents, five home games, five away games. The top eight teams in the league qualify automatically for the knockout stage. And then the teams finishing from ninth to 24th compete in a two-legged playoff and go from there. It's more top football. What people want to see. I mean, look, I agree. I love watching Manchester United play the big boys, but quite frankly, you have to earn that. And over the last eight years of Ed Woodward, rest in peace, um, we haven't been there too often. And by the way, I, I I just have to say, you know, it's you know, Real Madrid, Milan, both Milan clubs, Barcelona, Liverpool. You know, they've all. And United, they've all at least won the European Cup, Champions League. I find uh, it incredibly. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, you skipped over like...
0: you skipped over Chelsea. By the way, we also have won it. Oh,
2: I, oh, excuse me, <laughs> Chelsea. Yes, well, but then it's clubs like Manchester City, Tottenham, and Arsenal, who have never won the European Cup. City are, I think, maybe favourites this year to do it. Tottenham and Arsenal, I mean, we, we can talk about it, but they're just abysmal in every, in every respect.
1: Well, and I thought and they were leaving soccer. do not soccer. deserve
2: to be labeled as elite clubs. I mean, if they're elite clubs, where's Ajax? They've won the Champions League. Nottingham Forest has won the European Cup
0: twice. Or, or even Arsenal, a team...
2: Tottenham and City have never done it.
0: Or, you're going to look me in the what eyes? You're going to look me in the eyes and tell me that teams like Spurs or Arsenal are more elite than a team like Porto or Benfica? Absolutely
2: no, not. No way. No way. There's not no a- European history there. There's none. And it's not just about that. I mean, the the whole purpose of the Champions League, of the Europa League, even of the new European Conference League, which is expanding um, eligibility for teams to finish what we would consider mid-table to play each other in Europe, it's all about merit. It's It's meritocracy versus aristocracy. And, um, you know, clubs like West Ham United, Leicester, who won the Premier League, are knocking on the door, and, and this would have excluded them. Um, and um, it's, it, it's really, it's, it's just, it was a complete vanity exercise, and it, it, it brings me enormous pleasure to see that it lately disintegrated uh, so quickly, so quickly.
1: Yeah, the the lashback against it has been severe and rapid. Though, I, I want to bring up another point that you're talking about, Tom. And it's been the fact that the greed of these ownership groups is really rooted, interestingly, in, you know, outside investors and influences. I mean, when we talk about the six English teams that were involved in the Super League saga, only one of them was owned by a uh, I'm technically British-held, but by root of Bahamas company, the rest were owned yeah. by Americans uh, or owned by you know the Saudis. We look over in in Italy. I mean, Huve is owned by the the family that also started Fiat, but Inter Milan is owned by, by the Chinese. A, by the Chinese, AC Milan is owned by another American uh, business group. And then we were talking about the Spanish clubs, but they don't even own anything. They're just completely in debt. So,
2: (laughs) Yeah, look, I mean, Fenway Sport Group owns Liverpool. Uh, The Glazer family um, owns Manchester United. You know, you mentioned City. City is really just owned by a Middle Eastern state. Um, Chelsea is owned by a Russian billionaire. Um, It's Arsenal... uh, Dan Crunky is just
0: nowhere to be seen ever. Um
2: these are these are faceless
0: owners. Um and they're not just faceless, Tom. They're they're spineless. Fa-
1: soulless. The spine,
0: oh well, no question they're cowards. I mean I, I I don't
2: think I don't think that um the Glazers can ever set foot in in Old Trafford ever again. Not that they often do, but they they would just be Mercilessly ridiculed. Yeah, but I, um, I don't think and, anyone
1: would recognize them.
2: Well, yeah, maybe that too. But you know, credit where credit is due, though. Um, you know, Paris Saint-Germain, as we know, they're they're also owned by by uh, the Qatari royal family um, from the beginning. And and to be to be quite honest, I I would have expected PSG to be one of the first teams to sign up. for yeah, them. So if, I was.
0: If you would, put... I was pleasant if you'd put a gun to my head and said, "What team in Europe is is leading the charge for a Super
1: League?" My guess would have been PSG. Uh, had I never read an article, or, or you know, yeah, you would think they're the ones asking for competition.
2: Yes, well, certainly with with the with the state of the of the French league, although although it, it is it is worth noting that PSG are not top of the table uh, at the moment uh, in France. Uh, but th- then there's the German teams. Um, Bayern Munich, uh, Borussia Dortmund, RB Leipzig, you know, they were invited and they declined. And I think a large part of that...
1: The 50 plus one rule?
2: about the owners. It has to do with the ownership model in German football, which I think has to be explored elsewhere because money's just taken over the game, where the supporters' trusts trusts own a majority of the club. Mm -hmm. They are the ones who drive the vision and the direction of the club. Obviously, they have professionals managing the club day-to-day. They have a lot of sponsorship deals. You know, these are not clubs that are flying by the feet of their pants here. They're very well-run, very well-organized, and magnificently wealthy clubs. But they are, they are um, governed by the wishes of their supporters. And I think if that system was implemented in the Premier League, this would never have been a thing. The European Super League would never have come to fruition because, uh, by all accounts, Ed Woodward and the owners of Liverpool, as well as Florentino Perez and Andrea Agnelli from Juventus, were the masterminds behind it. And that 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 would have never that would have never passed muster if the fans owned 51% of these groups and had a voting share, a voting say in the decision by these clubs. And um, it's something it's something to explore i mean the sport is about solidarity it's about the supporters it's fans not customers it's 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 about supporting local teams and and development and the academies and 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 the progression of the sport at all levels and the fans and it's not just the european super league it's it's been going on for the better part of the last decade decade and a half That the fans desires have been put aside and it's all about the spreadsheet and the bottom line and profit. That's all it is now. All it's about. We have to fix it. And I think this is a good first step, but there's still a lot more to do.
0: Well, I think that there was definitely a wake up call to a lot of these executives, and I think we're seeing the ripple effects coming out of that. I mean, we, we saw, as we said, good riddance. Ed Woodward announcing he'll step down as the president of Man United. Rumors that Andrea Agnelli and Juvenus is going to be resigning. And I imagine we could see more dominoes falling with some of these other quote-unquote Big 12 and, and the blowback beyond that. I mean, we saw entities in the game like UEFA obviously all of the the fa's and the domestic f- football governing bodies fifa coming out guns blazing i mean threatening players yeah. and teams with expulsion from world cups and european competition threatening even the current champions league semi-finalists with expulsion yeah. from the competition imagine that we saw we saw prime minister boris johnson come out and say that he would make sure that the UK government did everything in its power to thwart this from happening. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't go into lockdown. (laughs) Well, come on. We've we've seen, it takes a lot to make that happen. Yeah, very true. And and then obviously we see the masses, we see the masses taking to the streets and, you know, at one point preventing the Chelsea team bus from arriving to the stadium. And, and obviously we saw You know, legend Petr Cech out there pleading with the fans, trying to trying to just get them to calm down. He's saying, "Give us time, give us time, let us work on this." You know, it's the the blowback was so real.
2: What completely amazed me about the whole thing was it it was absolutely apparent, given the reaction, that these owners didn't even consult their own players and managers about this. I mean, the, the threats from UEFA and FIFA were that these players would be banned from representing their countries at the, this summer's Euros and the World Cup and from the Champions League and potentially from the domestic leagues as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, so the players, we were seeing... We were if if, if, go if ahead. they had
2: consulted... All of the stakeholders, or any of the stakeholders yeah. in the game, they would have realized there was no appetite for this. But no, they they had these closed door or closed Zoom meetings, and and um, decided to spring this announcement on a Sunday night, the night before UEFA announced the changes to to the Champions League. And, and by all accounts, you know the the, the UEFA president um, Alexander Safarin, Gave a a very testy press conference yesterday. He was clearly irritated because he had been on the phone with the Juventus chairman Andrea Anelli and had apparently been given assurances that the the um, the proposed changes to the Champions League were were sufficient and kind of addressed his concerns. And then all of a sudden. Uh, they he he couldn't get in touch with Anelli and then the next day this announcement came out. So it was clearly deceptive from the beginning, and uh, and 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 that it's just it's just it's really shameful. I mean, as a United fan, I was disgusted, disgusted when I saw United's name on that on that twelve club shortlist. It's you know the the club were built by the working people of of the city of Manchester, and and it's you know tickets are expensive fans come to the games they they spend money to go all around europe to see their club play in the champions league and the europa league they go up and down england the premier league and then to be told that their club is going to potentially be out of these competitions in order to to chase more money it, it, it was just it was just a punch in the gut and really it was disrespectful and um... What? There's, there's going to be they're going to have to answer for it because yeah they backed out but they we shouldn't let we shouldn't let them get away with it because they they um they signed up for it initially uh, so they can be contrite but but they've they've got to answer some questions
1: and really any time that you're getting you know high roaded at least on an ethics front by FIFA or the UEFA yeah. or the English <laughs> FA you're in some real serious trouble. Oh gosh. What well, you know Absolutely. I'm, there's even did talk you Talk
2: about the, the the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. What a what a fiasco that's been between the human rights violations and and the amount of money spent into it set bladder being
0: a criminally investigated for, for
2: corruption. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I mean Well and, and you know it's as far as Did you see, I mean, even some of the Italian sides, uh, Atalanta, Verona, Cagliari, are calling for the removal of Juvenus and both Italian sides from the Serie A, saying that they should be
1: kicked out for a year. Yes. Like, just... Wolves are claiming themselves the 18-19 title holders (laughs) in the the Premier League, (laughs) because, you know, everybody that was above them just jumped ship. So... It's
2: also worth remembering that Juventus and Milan have, a, shall we say, a difficult history with corruption, where they were uh, bound to have bribed the match officials uh, in the, I believe it was 2004, 2005, 2006, sometime yeah, around. The then. fact that exactly it's, the, the, fact years, that the
0: years start with 2000 and not yeah. years before that shows you just how recent... Of a thing, this isn't distant history here. No, this is, no. this is recent, and, and you know, it, it's shocking that these clubs would be so close-minded, so interested in self-serving as opposed to raising up the sport, and, and then the fact that they spout the nonsense like, "Well, the sport is losing popularity. Well, we need to do something in order to save the sport." It's like, hello the sport's at an all-time high right now. Yeah. Obviously, okay, gate yeah. sales are not because of COVID and restrictions on that front. But beyond that, viewership, popularity, I mean, more people now are, are following European football in the States than ever before. Well, let's not
2: forget, too, that the, the, the length that the Premier League and the FA went during the pandemic to allow viewership to to increase, they they gave Amazon access. They they're allowing clubs to show games on their own platforms. And you know, MUTV shows games that aren't broadcast on 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 Sky or BBC or or Peacock or these. I mean, it's they, they've they've allowed this to happen in order to help these clubs during this time. And you know, look. We're talking about helping clubs like Chelsea and Manchester City and, and, and Real Madrid with, with their revenues. But these are teams who, you know, Chelsea spent over 200 million pounds on players last year. United can spend 100 million pounds on, on a player like Paul Parma. They can pay Alexis Sanchez 300,000 pounds a week to score a goal and then loan him to, to, into Milan. I mean, it's, these are not the clubs that need help. And that's the point. That's the point. It's The solidarity payments as part of the football pyramid are essential to the game's progress. I mean, Harry Kane and Dele Alley, for example, are two of the biggest players in England. They got their, they made their, on loan, on, at Championship and League One sides. Jamie Vardy, I know he's not on the big six. But he didn't become a a first tier player until he was like twenty eight, twenty nine. Before that, he was languishing in League Two, League One. He was working a second job. That's that's the that is the beauty of the sport. It's it's not just these ready made superstars who are who, who are there to wow us. Yeah, we have unbelievable talent all across the world: Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar, Mbappe. But that's that's not. This sport and that is the elite level, and we should applaud them, fantastic players, the best of all time, but it's it's the grassroots, it's the smaller clubs that are really the the lifeblood, the heartbeat of the game, and this threatened that and it, it was it was it was heartening to see the supporters of the big clubs who have known success for so long who have seen their clubs spend lots of money on players to stand shoulder to shoulder with even the smaller clubs in the Premier League, to say this is outrageous, this is selfish, this is greedy, it's self-serving, enough is enough.
0: Well, and I think that's another thing that, you know, you, you kind of touch on there. This is a global sport. And, and yeah. this concept of the Super League that was going to be 20 teams with 15 permanent teams and then, a, you know, five spots that were open for qualification, think of the damage that that would have been doing decides not not even let let's ignore the football pyramids in the big five leagues. But looking at the teams like that, that are even big fish in their small ponds that, that rely on this shot in the arm, on this financial oh. injection to salvage their leagues and to provide to be able to provide that injection of money to the rest of their their trickle down there. I mean, teams like Shakhtar, teams like Olympiacos, Red Star Belgrade, Dynamo, Dynamo Zagreb. Zagreb. You know, these teams that the Champions League and the Europa League respectively are their opportunity to build their brand outside of their country, to collect some money and and put some of their players on, on a grand stage to pre- present them for even big-money transfers or just to be able to shock a few teams and make
1: it into the knockout rounds. Yeah, teams from yeah. Uh, the Austrian League, teams from you know the Belgian League. Oh, they Sweden, don't... Denmark, you name it. They, they, also, they don't get their football exported unless they make it to the Europa League and the Champions League. Exactly. Actually, and, and...
2: Shakhtar... Mike, is a great example because Shakhtar has given us players like Fernandinho, William, Fred, Douglas Costa, players who have gone on to really just take these clubs by storm and have lasted a long time and have been at the top level. You know, there's also teams like Ajax and, and Celtic. Exactly. Um, who, who, you know, Ajax three years ago shocked everybody, knocked out Real Madrid, knocked out Juventus, some of their best players, Frankie de Jong, um, Matthias de Ligt, um, Hakim Ziyech, Connie Van de Beek, have gone on to join some of these big clubs, and and and, and the money that has has been um, been granted by these big clubs to Ajax, the Ajax has received in these transfers, has gone back into their has revitalized.
0: Academy. Not just Ajax, but the entire Eredivisie gets lifted yeah. up. By, by their performance and by their legitimizing th- their league in the European stage and this league yeah. was trying to rob them of this opportunity yeah
2: it's, it's it, it, it was clearly doomed from the start and, um, and I, I do think that expanding the Champions League and changing the group stage format a bit to a league like system you know they're going to have the points system again, like they had the group stage. It's going to make it more exciting. You know, I, I, from my perspective, the group stage, in many respects, there have been some up some some upsets recently, but the group stage had become
0: it's a kind little of stale. It gets a little predictable. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. usually, if you're a mildly educated fan or relatively educated fan. There's like three groups groups. where you're like, "Hmm, I don't know, maybe. You could look at all the groups and pretty much go, okay, these two teams are going to advance there. These two teams are going to advance there. These two teams. And then you got the one or two groups that it's like, ooh, but you know.
2: (laughs) Two years ago, there was a group. Uh, It was uh, Barcelona, Dortmund, Inter Milan, and Slavia Prague. And I remember the face on the chairman of Slavia Prague when their name was drawn by <laughs> that group. He was, he was seeing his life flash before his eyes. But I'll tell you, I mean, it gave them an opportunity to 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 be in the big pond, and they got points off of Dortmund and Milan. Inter, during that group stage, and they were an exciting team. And a player like Thomas Suchik went on to join West Ham and is now leading West Ham, to potentially a Champions League place. So yeah. this, is, this is what I mean. It's, it's, the stage is important, and expanding the stage to have more teams and, and more games, which is what everybody wants, although maybe not some of the managers and the players. There, there is some question about you know the, the, the players are already playing so many games, there's so many injuries, this is going to create another problem. We'll see. Um, luckily, it's not happening the same season as the uh, wintertime uh, World Cup in in Qatar. Uh, that's going to be interesting when players have to go to the World Cup in November and December. But um, you know, it's it's the right step, and there's you know there's there's more solidarity payments. It's it's more equitable. It's a better system. Stick with, I mean. The Champions League is probably the greatest sporting competition in the world. Everybody, lo- everybody knows the Champions League anthem.
0: It's everybody definitely the best professional. I yeah, will they're, agree they're with they're non-international for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: well, yes, of course, but it's it's it has so much allure and so much so much uh, grandeur to it,
0: and it, and a global. To, for, a so these global to be willing to walk
2: away what are they
0: doing uh, and and again it, it's it's prioritizing the interests of the few over the interests yes. of the many it's trying to act like you can just ride your reputation to these paydays as opposed to actually earning it mm-hmm. and it's depriving the smaller clubs both in these domestic pyramids as well as in the smaller leagues throughout Europe of an opportunity to present themselves on a grand stage
1: yeah it's, and, it's trying to it's trying to implement things from American sports it's trying to make it so yeah. you know you have a Dallas Cowboys of the soccer world, and you have only sterilized brand images where it becomes an institution that is permanent success or failure each year just kind of repeats.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's that, that's a great point, Bernie. I mean, you know, the, the difference between American sports and, and, and European football is, of course, the relegation and promotion. And the fact that he could have 15 teams to be guaranteed a spot, no matter their domestic performance. Arsenal are 10th in the Premier League right now. They would be playing in the European Super League against teams like Real Madrid and Barcelona, who if, if, if Arsenal played Real Madrid tomorrow, they would get absolutely spanked by that team. Right. And who wants to, I, I mean, maybe a Real Madrid fan does, but who really wants to watch a quote unquote elite matchup and then have a team like Arsenal who don't deserve to be there, get absolutely destroyed by a real, and, and would Real Madrid feel their stronger side? Or is this going to become another League Cup where they play their reserve team, and, and, and rest their 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 stars for the for the more important game at the weekend or something? Yeah, it's it's just mind-boggling.
0: And and what does it say when a side like Leicester City or West Ham, either of which would be infinitely more deserving than Arsenal, would be deprived of that opportunity just because they don't necessarily have the history or the or the financial backing? Bottom line to be there. I mean, it's, and it would take away incentive f- to compete in your domestic league yeah. if you, if the championship was out of reach. You know, if you had no chance yeah. of winning the title, what, what incentive right now would, would teams like Chelsea, Leicester, West Ham have to be competitive for this last final stretch of the season if a spot Not- in European football wasn't on the line? It's... None. I mean, that's that's what makes the end six weeks
2: of the league campaign so so gripping. Who's going to make the top four? Who's going to who's going to play um, Europa League? Who's going to win the FA Cup, the League Cup? Who's going down? Who's coming up? You know, that's it's exciting, and and you know, quite frankly, a team like Chelsea, a team like Liverpool, a team like United go to grounds like Villa Park or Turf Moor or St. James Park. And it's not always a win, as we saw. I mean, interestingly, the weekend that this Super League was announced, Arsenal drew 1-1 to Fulham. Uh, Juventus lost 1-0 to Atalanta. Real Madrid drew 0-0 to Getafe. Um, (laughs) Liverpool yesterday uh
0: they gave drew 1-1 to beautiful wolves goal, uh
2: to Leeds united uh, Leeds, uh, not chelsea wolves. today had a goalless draw i mean so it, it's because the leagues are competitive and i guess i i guess if i were a super club and i had a smaller club actually go toe to toe with me yeah maybe i'd be like who's this guy but it's, that's what makes the sport so beautiful. It's, it's, it's meant to be a David versus Goliath. It's meant to be a situation where the weak can defeat the strong. And that's, that's what's so great about the sport. And, the, and that's what it was just an insult to the game. No, that's it was just threatened to take away. Players yeah. To their competitive nature. It was, it was just disrespectful.
1: Yeah, what, I mean, what if, you know, doing it on a cold, rainy night at Stoke? just yeah. got just got lost into the memory of the game. I mean that would that would truly suck cuz that that's been a, you know, uh, a paramount comparison point where yeah. any, you know any given, you know, in American football, it's any given Sunday, you know, you got to line up your best 11 anyway.
2: Yep. Exactly. It's 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 the beauty of the game. I mean, the fact that you can go to the Bet365 Stadium on a cold, rainy night in Stoke. And, you know, this happened to us, uh, to, to United, and, and, and come away with just a point um, after, after throwing it all and, 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 and really making it a, a, a scrappy game and uh, tackles flying in. I mean, it's, it's, it's what makes the game watchable. And I think that's why it has so many fans. I mean I, I was remarking actually to Mike earlier today that we we were talking a bit and I said I see more kids like age seven to fifteen or sixteen wearing jerseys of, of the Premier League sides, of the Spanish sides, of the German side, of the Italian side than I see in many cases wearing the jerseys of of, of the American sports teams. I mean it's it's the popularity of the game has just increased multifold in the last 10 years, at least in in the U S it's always been obviously immensely popular elsewhere in the world. And it's beautiful to see because they, they like watching these games It's entertaining waking up on a Saturday or a Sunday morning and, and saying, okay, you know, Chelsea are away to, uh, to Newcastle today. It's going to be a scrappy match. You know, they're going to sit in, let's, let's, let's hope for a positive result. Whereas I don't know, I mean, I'm excited when United play Real Madrid, but it's usually for a different reason uh, because it actually, that game means something. It means a European Cup and not not just, uh, oh, it's, it's a pointless game with the JP Morgan trophy. Who cares?
0: Yeah, and I got to say, I mean, I think part of what you're getting at with this, becoming, this being such a global game, this being a game for the masses, this being a game that appeals to young, old men, women, you name it no matter no, people of speaking dozens of different languages you know that's what was so beautiful about what we saw because in the last 36 hours because we saw the people we saw the owners of this game not the owners of these teams but the owners of this game the people yeah make their voices heard take to the yeah. streets and demand the reclamation of their sport out of the jaws of, of such an ugly greed-filled plan of a whole bunch of you know men in suits behind closed doors trying to yeah. scheme up how they can build their bank accounts
1: yeah a bunch of cynics looking to profiteer off a game
0: the 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 dancing in the streets that we saw as it was coming out that chelsea had backed out of the of the super league then uh, then almost immediately followed by Manchester City and then one by one like dominoes we saw these pillars fall and with each one the the pandemonium in the streets grew more and more and more and people saying we saved the sport i mean that that's that's not yeah. just hyperbole no no it's
2: not i mean but... The Chelsea fans were were celebrating almost more exuberantly than when they won the Champions League against Bayern Munich in Munich. I saw that it was it, it was it was, it was you... you know the the beer was flying in the air. People were crying and dancing and hugging. It was fathers and sons and enjoying a, a, a moment that they played a part in, a a, a a crucial part in, because without fans, and 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 this is. The irony of this, that, 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 that United joined this thing when they have a banner at Old Trafford which reads, it's a quote from Sir Matt Busby, that says, without well, fans, football is nothing. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Because, yeah, you can see, you can have TV rights all over the world and have people watching in their living rooms on a Saturday morning, but it's the fans at Old Trafford, it's the supporters. Who sign up for memberships? Who who buy jerseys from the club store? Who who support their club on preseason tours in the U.S.
0: Who know every Asia. who know every word
1: to all the cheers. Every
2: word to every chant. Know every player. Know
1: the academy system.
2: That's, yeah, that's the beauty and the brilliance. Well, you know, when I think of these teams, the, the last people I think about are the owners.
1: Exactly it's not the last people I think about
2: well so i I'm, I'm I for one am, am very proud of the entire grassroots football world the, the community behind this fans of every team from all over the world players coaches former players former coaches who who just you know pundits on on, on you know who we often criticize because they they sometimes seem to just fan the flames of these things, but who really took a um, a principled stance? And um, it just goes to show whether it's sport or, or anything else that uh, you know when 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 principled people come together and put their foot down, you know we can we can make these changes. It's it's very inspirational. I'm. I for one am, 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 am really uh, um, hopeful about this. It's it's given me a lot of it's given me a lot of joy and, and a lot of a lot of inspiration seeing seeing what's happened over the
0: last thirty six hours. Certainly inspirational and certainly a roller coaster and it feels good to be obviously not out of the woods yet, but but on yeah. the winning side now it seems of this. It, it seems like reason and morality have won yeah. and and that is can't say enough about that tom i uh it's a valuable commodity yeah absolutely tom I, we want to uh definitely thank you for coming on man this has been great uh, love this conversation
1: yeah man thank you so much for joining and,
0: us and uh valuable input there and we we'd love to have you uh back on at some point I, i'm sure for our listeners this is definitely not the last you're going to be hearing from uh, our our resident Man United fan Tom, yes, and um, and it's a great day for football, and uh, certainly yeah. you know, seems like we've we've emerged from that dark night now uh, as fans and as a community stronger than ever. So let's let's hope this well, can lead to positive me, change. You know,
2: yeah. celebrate the moment, relish in the moment, and uh, you know let's uh, let's hope that. These um, these days could be put behind us, and we can we can focus on, on on seeing out this campaign. Whatever competitions our respective clubs are in, uh, we can see it through and and really uh, get behind our teams and uh,
0: and look and forward. Hopefully, look forward to the Euros. Exactly, and look forward to a future without this uh, without this dark cloud hanging over us. So, uh, with that, everybody. I think it's about that time for us to take our ball and go home. Let's hit the showers. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Balls Over the Top podcast. As always, you can find us on our socials at at B-O-T-T Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram.
1: And this podcast is available everywhere podcasts are available. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. If you want to find us on a podcasting site, we're there.
0: Yeah, and if you could, if it's available depending on your platform, smash that like or subscribe or even just throw the link up. Share it with some friends. We really appreciate it, guys. We do. Thanks. Thanks.
1: Bye.